Boom, there it is. All right, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the last episode of this week. It is a Wednesday. So uh, we're going to talk today about ending the stigma. What does that mean? What are we talking about? Tune in to find out. Practicing polyamory. Real life perspectives from the imperfect people of polyamory. The mission of the Practicing Polyamory podcast is to provide a platform for all of the real-life, flawed humans that practice polyamory so that we might all learn from one another and grow as a community. Enjoy the show. I'm like dancing extra hard today because <laughs> since it's Wednesday and it's the last uh, show of the week, it's kind of like my Friday, sort of. Oh. All right, all right, all right. Enough, enough of that. Welcome, everybody, to this beautiful day. Uh, we've had some real beautiful sunlight, uh, sunshine the past few days, so awesome. Before we jump in the chat with our awesome guest today, I want to quickly remind everybody to please follow the show on your favorite social media platform. In fact, follow us on all the social media platforms. You can find us everywhere at, at Practicing Poly A. And if you are listening on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or any other podcast app, please subscribe, leave a review wherever it is that you download the pod. In fact, that's the easiest way to support the show. Subscribe, and then please tell your friends, tell your poly friends, tell your therapist friends, tell your friends about the show, uh, because this is a resource for, well, I'll tell you who. If you're listening to this podcast, you're welcome guests to be on the show. If you're actively polyamorous, if you're polyam curious, or if you're a professional serving the, serving the polyamorous community, Boy, I'm tongue-tied. Uh, we want to hear your story, and you're the perfect audience. If you are disabled, BIPOC, pan, bi, demi, gay, straight, sex worker, kinkster, queer, lesbian, trans, NB, arrow, ace, whatever it is, we want to hear your story. Because the more stories we hear, the more the world learns about us, the more representation we have, the better we can serve our community. So go to practicingpolyamory.com and sign up today. All right, that's enough of that. Now to the best part, introducing our awesome guest. Our guest today was an adopted kid raised as an only child in a big, loud New York Italian family with personality and a love for the outdoors. She's now a Pacific Northwest girl to the core, laughing, loving, and listening to her patients as she guides them to discovering their own solutions. Part of the reason why she became a therapist is because she has been through her own challenges of mental health. Therapists are, in fact, human, and she's deeply concerned about the state of mental health. Our guest aim is to hashtag end the stigma however she can. She's proud of her story and where she's come from. I, for one, can't wait to hear our guest story. She identifies as queer as heck and loves working with patients on the LGBTQIA spectrum. Aren't we all, Kinsey? Tune in to hear more from this two-time author, founder and director of Sprout Therapy out of Portland, Oregon, and host of the hashtag adulting therapists podcast, mm -hmm. Welcome to the show, Emily Blake. Wow, I want to be at that party. <laughs> you are at that party right here, right now on the Practicing Polyamory podcast. And thank you, Emily, so much for hanging out with me today. I really appreciate it. Of course. Super glad to be here. Yeah. Good, good. Well, I'm I'm glad you're glad because I'm glad. So that makes a lot of glad. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right, let's start with end the stigma, right? Hashtag end the stigma. This is something that you're ultra passionate about and it can mean so many things. Which stigma specifically are you talking about or are you talking about all of them? Oh gosh, I mean all of the stigmas for sure. Um, I think like 
you know, um, my like biggest kind of uh, experience with mental health stigma in general, and I think in part like non-monogamy stigma kind of comes in with that too, is, you know, the training that you get as a therapist, part of your education revolves around kind of avoiding the topic of your own mental health. Mm. Uh, that therapists mm -hmm. are somehow supposed to be um, immune from mental health struggles, that we're supposed to be these kind of like stoic blank slates that have no experience of our own mental health problems. Um, and that's something that that I really strongly disagree with as, mm -hmm. as, a, as a provider. Um, mm -hmm. I don't necessarily think that it's super helpful or healthy to present ourselves as therapists who have our shit all figured out. <laughs> well again you mean you're human and you have emotions and struggles no. like everybody else no it's crazy yeah <laughs> i mean it's nuts like the um like i've worked in worked in a number of different agency settings where um even though we're providing mental health for our clients uh we're kind of being encouraged to not share about our own mental health or you know, like I remember like going to therapy appointments while I was working as a therapist in an agency and being like, oh, I'm going to a doctor's appointment, you know, like being mm -hmm. secretive because you don't actually want to say therapist like you, you hold... can't handle the truth. Exactly. People can't handle the truth. Yeah. yeah and I think that really like that idea of um, ending this, the stigma by being kind of like honest and authentic about our personal experiences really ties in nicely to non-monogamy, too. As far mm -hmm. as like, you know, I think that as professionals, we're kind of expected to not be non-monogamous or to not right. have experiences with sex or kink or this or that. Wait, wait, hang on, hang on. So, so you're telling me not only are you expected to not be human and not have mental health issues just like everybody else, mm -hmm. but you're also expected to conform to standard uh, heteronormativity, like all the way throughout, and you can't be gay or straight, or I don't know why you can be straight, but you can't be like on the LGBTQIA plus spectrum. I say, hold up, wait a minute. Exactly. Yeah, right? I mean, hold we're up. supposed to be therapy robots, you know? Yeah. That's not cool. I don't like that. <laughs> That's not how it works, though, is it? No, definitely not. And let me tell you that most of the therapists I know certainly have their own shit going on. Excuse my language. It's fine, it's fine. Not <laughs> hit it. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Shit! Language! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm a big fat nar Marvel nerd. I love my Marvel, and uh, we have a bunch of uh, those clips, and that one's definitely one of my favorite. But um, mm -hmm. anywho, okay, so therapists are in fact human, and we have our own shit going on right mm -hmm. or you have your own shit going on because i'm not a therapist um and you bring that to the table because of the things that you have been through um how did i say it here how, how, how did it go uh one of the reasons why you became a therapist is because you've been through your own challenges of mental health uh one of the reasons why potentially you were you gravitated towards being a poly-friendly therapist or non-monog-friendly therapist is because you yourself identify as such. Tell me a little bit about your journey. Tell me a little bit about who you are and what really, what got you here? Sure. Um, I mean, I think like, like many other therapists, kind of like along my 
career trajectory, uh, found myself playing the role of therapist in many of my like friendships and relationships mm -hmm. and, and sometimes with family. Um, and so it felt kind of like a natural place to go. Um, I've always really been interested in other people, like hearing people's stories, hearing where they come from. Um, I experienced quite a bit of, um, you know, challenging and difficult situations as a young person and, um, you know, had my own experiences with anxiety and depression, um, panic attacks. Uh, you know, I've, I've now been diagnosed as an adult with ADHD, which is a wild experience. Um, you know, uh, I met, I actually met somebody, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I actually met somebody, um, on the podcast. It was, I'm blanking on her name right now. Why am I blanking? Uh, Gloria, Gloria Nefertiti, um, diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 63. Whew. So I know you're nowhere near 63. <laughs> How does this diagnosis of ADHD change your life? Oh, man. I mean, so for the longest time, I thought I had like horrible debilitating anxiety and that that was like kind of the most impactful kind of like mental health challenge in my life. And what a surprise it was when um, I saw a provider who kind of nailed it and was like, no, you just have really bad ADHD. Um, and that like, you know, often in women, and this is something that I talk about with clients all the time, but it never quite like clicked for me about myself. But oftentimes for women, you know, inattentive type ADHD is so much more common than hyperactive type. And so a lot of the things that I was anxious about or that I became fixated on were all like organizational challenges or like trying to like manage time and um, get things done and, um, my, my uh, doctor like kind of nailed it on the head and was like, all of your anxiety is related to attention. And I was like, mm -hmm. damn it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you had, you, you labeled two types of ADHD. One was hyperactive. The other one was what? Uh, inattentive. Can you tell me the difference and kind of explain what that means? Yeah. So like most people who have a diagnosis of ADHD might have a little bit from column A and column B. Um, but primarily inattentive type ADHD is more like you might uh, think of someone as being like aloof or like daydreaming or distracted or not present. Um, and like it's less of a stereotype around ADHD than what you think of when you think about like a, uh, a traditional case of ADHD, you know, like a 10 year old boy running around and like lighting things on fire or like mm -hmm. kicking people or, you know, whatever. Um, that's kind of like more the hyperactive type of ADHD. Um, okay. Yeah. So, so how would, how would uh, hyperactive ADHD manifest in an adult? How would I know if I have hyperactive ADHD? T -t Today, Junior! <laughs> 10 year old. In an, that was great. That was great. I like the reference perfect, there. Perfect. Um, yeah, I mean, but, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. As adults, um, there are a lot of like little signs that you might notice, like, some people might like jiggle their leg or constantly be moving in their chair, have a hard oh, time sitting. Damn. <laughs> Hashtag attacked. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not diagnosing you right now. Uh, okay. All right. All right. Yeah. yeah all right. Often, go on. Go on. Often people who um, become diagnosed with ADHD later in life learn how to mask. Um, so oh. they learn how to kind of present as if they're not hyperactive or as if they're not distracted. Mm -hmm. uh, so like, for example, I could be incredibly distracted right now, but I've kind of trained myself to look where I'm supposed to look and to smile and to look like <laughs> I'm being attentive. Um, 
thankfully I am being attentive right now, but you know what I mean? That's thankfully, kind of yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so personal story, personal story. Yeah. I, 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 when, when you're talking about that and like looking at the screen and like, this is where I'm supposed to be paying attention. So this is where I'm paying attention right now. I think back to my friend, Cassandra from my karaoke crew. And there will be so many times that like, she's telling me a whole ass story and I'm like looking straight at her <laughs> and I have no idea what she's saying. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm <laughs> not saying that I have ADHD, but I do shake my leg a lot. Um, <laughs> how do people, if, if they're hyperactive, like you're talking about and they're, they're masking, I mean, if they're in this situation, they have no idea what the person is saying because their brain just went elsewhere. Yeah. Are there any techniques that they can kind of bring themselves back to that present and be aware of that situation? Yeah, I mean, um, any sort of practice that helps keep you in the present moment is going to be really helpful, like mindfulness, guided meditation, practicing calm, you know, practicing kind of like coming back to that centered place. Um, one of the most effective treatments for um, ADHD of any kind is actually exercise. Um, so like regular exercise, like specifically like in the morning time so that it kind of regulates your, your body and mind to kind of like chill, um, super helpful. So exercise in the morning and mindfulness, meditation, all that good stuff, um, that will just kind of help us. All right. That works. Yeah. That works. And like, you know, finding adaptive strategies to managing your energy is also really helpful. Like I'm a, um, a huge uh, user of fidgets, you know, oh, like nice. when I'm doing counseling, I might be holding a fidget in my hand so that I'm, I'm making sure that I can focus attentively on, on my client um, without being distracted. Um, you know, there's, there's this idea that like a hyperactive or an ADHD person needs a certain amount of stimulus in order to fill their bucket. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, what, while a, a neuronormative person might be able to just focus on focusing, um, many times people with ADHD can perform multiple tasks at once in order to regulate their attention. So somebody with ADHD might be good at multitasking? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Or even All holding right. multiple things going on at like at the same moment, like, holding a difficult conversation and playing with a fidget, you know? I wasn't aware that was something a person could do. <laughs> oh, well done. Well played. Well played. Oh, good. Man, <laughs> you know, the business bro is on point today. If you guys want to uh, congratulate him for, if you all, I'm sorry, I, I want to be more gender, gender neutral with my, with my, terms like that uh if you all want to support our awesome producer who's kicking butt back there and making me laugh today uh great job um go check out at business bros pod uh especially if you're in business at all okay give it a uh, a tan a tan you're welcome i love you too neuronormative mm -hmm. that was a word that you just said a minute ago now you say neuronormative and then I think back to my my comment about everybody's on the LGBTQIA plus scale, right? Everybody's on the Kinsey scale, right? Sure. You're either on the one side or on the other. So you use a term like neuronormative, and mm -hmm. I think, well, everybody's on some kind of a scale, right? Sure. So yeah. what does neuronormative mean? 
That's a great question. I just kind of like set it on the fly. Yeah. <laughs> Neurotypical might be something, might be a term that people um, use more often for folks who don't necessarily identify with um, like some kind of uh, disorder like, like ADHD. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, when we think about ADHD in general, kind of like ranges from people who don't necessarily identify with any challenges with attention um, or like activity, and then all the way over to, you know, like they think about ADHD as being kind of one spot on like a spectrum that includes like the autism spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of like similar presentation, similar symptomology. Um, okay. so I guess like neurotypical might just be people who don't have as many of those specific symptoms that present in their daily life and cause an impact on their function. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. I had, I had somebody else, uh, explains a term like that, um, <laughs> in statistics, right? Mm-hmm. I think statistics, we got like a bell curve yeah. and there's yeah. the 68% that lands in the middle. And then you got kind of everybody else. So that 68% would probably be, um, like we're talking a scale, right? If we're talking a scale, yeah. like that's probably what we would be talking about. Would you would you say that's pretty sure? Like maybe the more neuronormative. The normative-ish. Normative-ish. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody you know, I used to say this all the time. I remember in high school, you call me normal, nobody's normal. Everybody's some kind of weird. Oh yeah. I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> On point today. On point. So well done. Well done. Um all right, so bringing this back to the name of our show, right? Mm-hmm. How does all of this stuff being ADHD, how does it tie in with your, or being neurotypical, whatever, how does it tie in with your non-monogamous or polyamorous clients? Sure. Um, I mean, I think like incidentally or anecdotally, you know, I, I do tend to notice that many polyamorous and non-monogamous um, clients do identify with an ADHD diagnosis or, you know, like many people in general. Um, I think that, you know, we think about ADHD as being a disorder of dopamine, um, which is kind of a reward-seeking uh, neurotransmitter. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, oftentimes poly folks or non-monogamous folks, open folks, swingers, like everything along that spectrum, you know, engaging in new relationships gives you a lot of dopamine. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. um, so it wouldn't be shocking to me if if a lot of folks who um, identify as non-monogamous might be somewhere on the ADHD spectrum. You know? Got it. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I mean, I'm just kind of curious about it. I, I saw a question. It was on, uh, on Reddit. Let me see if I can find it really quickly here. Um, let me find it. Here we go. Da, 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 da. It says, do you see any mental health conditions overrepresented in people who practice ENM? Hmm. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'd say like, yeah, like uh, like ADHD is definitely something that a lot of my clients present with, although I'm not sure if that's also like self-selecting somewhat because I do mm-hmm. like, work with ADHD. Um, so, you know, hard to say kind of, uh, but I do think that, um, you know, like many people who are open-minded in general around life have experienced trauma. Mm-hmm. And trauma is sometimes something that is able to open us up to new ideas. Um, or new ways of living or rejecting social norms, Um, especially like trauma that comes from like oppressive systems like patriarchy and heteronormativity and 
like our monogamous culture. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. And so I'd say that like trauma is probably another piece that unites a lot of the ENM community in my mind. Yeah. Trauma kind of unites us all. And maybe there's <laughs> like a shared, there's a shared trauma mm -hmm. in these types, you know, in, in us, in our communities, there's like, there's a shared trauma in, I don't know, what would you say is like a common theme of that shared trauma? Actually, I have no idea. Mm. What, what would you say is that shared trauma if we're all, you know? I mean, like, I'd say like the universal trauma that like we all face within our system is the trauma of patriarchy. Okay. And I think that that ties in like really easily towards like the way that many people construct non-monogamous identities is like a rejection of patriarchal norms that are mm -hmm. like oppressive to us all, you know, um, like power Dang dynamics. Deeper. Tell me more. Yeah. 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 I mean, like, you know, if we just think about like the way that, um, you know, like initially the way that like marriage was constructed as a, a contract um, between different people where, you know, the, oftentimes the the woman in a marriage was uh, not necessarily someone who was given power or agency and mm -hmm. was kind of put in a place to be able or to have to kind of uh, be a, a placeholder for a male partner, right? And so like the legacies of how patriarchy has affected our society and the ways that heteronormative marriage has like created um, an oppressive society for men and women, right? Like that these these roles, like the the ways that we've come to think about relationships are incredibly oppressive for everyone involved. For everyone in involved, not just for women? <laughs> oh no, I mean, come on, like, you know, like just the experience of being told that your relationship has to look a certain way or function mm -hmm. a certain way is oppressive to anyone who's in it, right? Patriarchy hurts men. Yeah, I mean, you're you're right. It, uh, would you attribute, you know, the homophobia that has been prevalent up through like the '70s when all of the the riots and 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 you know all of the uh, gay rights movements really started? I mean, is that all stemming from the patriarchy? Is I'm it? just I'm asking these questions. I'm like I'm asking yeah, these questions. Yeah. It, it, uh, no pressure. Like your opinion. Don't hold people to it. You know, it, we're not yeah. history buffs here. Just <laughs> having a conversation. In in my opinion, yeah, absolutely. I mean, patriarchal ideals and ideas about like marriage, religion, um, like the way that our culture has involved, like all of these different aspects of our belief systems is like absolutely oppressive and has absolutely led to homophobia and the mistreatment of women and violence against women and, you know, like... It's tough. It's worse. It's so much worse. <laughs> <laughs> see, see how he's just killing it today. Good job. Once again, at Business Bros Pod, anybody who wants to follow that funny guy. Um, all right. So patriarchy, bad. We know that. Smash the patriarchy. Let's let's all let's all get on board with that one. Um, what other things are are important? What other things do we need to? I don't know what other things are affecting the non-monogamous community that you see within your patients. Is there any theme that you see? I mean, we're all coming out of the COVID, right? Like everybody's kind of starting to come around, uh, looking forward to, to being able to go out again. I was just having this conversation today. I can't wait to go back to karaoke. 
Hmm. Um, so I can ignore Cassandra again. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> but what are what are some themes that you're seeing right now as we are starting to make our way out into the world again? Sure. Um, I mean, like kind of doubling back to the the idea we kind of started on today of ending the stigma. Um, I think maybe not necessarily related to COVID, but just um, non-monogamous people in general face so much stigma from our culture, which also ties into patriarchy, you know, if we want to. <laughs> um, but, circling uh, back, circling back. Yeah, you know, like even just thinking about um, something as simple as like one thing that we we face at our practice is insurance billing, right? Okay. Um, how to bill for a triad. Oh. Bill insurance for, for a triad coming to couples counseling or, um, you know, kind of like scaling back from just like our practice. But, um, you know, if you're in a triad, can you get health insurance for your partners? Um, just for the one that you're married to, right? Right. Like just these these little tiny stigmas that all kind of like add up to this experience of oppression. Right. Um, so I think like that continues to be a challenge for many clients that we see within the non-monogamous community is just like, all these little factors, all these little stigmas that lead to an oppressed identity. Yeah, I mean, these are societal problems. I mean, they're they're big problems at very high levels. I, I believe that you're right. I 100% agree with you. It stems from the patriarchal uh, identification definition of monogamy and like, marriage is the sacred thing. And you know, like, that's how we do our taxes, all this stuff. <laughs> I mean, what has to change? How much time do you have? A lot, a lot, actually. I mean, uh, technically, like five minutes left for the show, but I got nothing going on for you know another thirty at least. You know, it's up to you. <laughs> I'm just yeah, I mean, I think that uh, the more that um, non-monogamous folks are able to kind of like be out and and talk about their experiences and the stigma that they've experienced and connect. Um, like, you know, just the, the couples and, and triads and polycules that we see at our practice often share a lot of the same experiences when it comes to the ways that they've, they've had their identities stigmatized by, you know, our culture of origin. Um, so I think like connecting with other poly folks and being able to have those open conversations about the things that affect everyone in that community um, is super important. Um, I think the more, uh, poly folks and non-monogamous folks are in the public light in ways aside from like sister wives <laughs> and like, you know, yes, that yeah. kind of non-monogamous content um, mm -hmm. to like decrease some of these myths about what the poly community looks like um, can be really helpful. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Um, again, this, this goes to, everybody who's out there listening, watching right now, this, this is you, this is us. This is our, um, this is our representation, right? Because we are, we are the people of polyamory. And the more that we're able to show the rest of the world that we're just, just like the rest of y'all, you know, there, there's a possibility, you know, I think back to the comment I made about, you know, the, the gay rights movement started, you know, way back in the seventies and probably even before that, that's just like, as far as I'm thinking uh, to like Stonewall and stuff like that. Um, where was I going with that? Oh, uh, small steps, right? How do we eat a whale? One spoonful at a time. Uh, these are, these are small steps that we can all take and, and it's, you know, doing, 
doing each of our parts. Um, Emily, I just want to ask you, is there anything that I missed? Anything that you had wished that I had asked? Anything that you want to leave uh, our audience with as we round out the show today? Um, I mean, like, you know, not to do a total self plug, um, but last year I did write a, um, a book called Easy Marriage Counseling. Um, which I'm really proud of. It's um, a totally like gender and partner inclusive um, marriage counseling uh, book. So it says easy marriage counseling in the title, there's marriage. It doesn't necessarily have to apply for couples or partnerships of any kind that um, are married. Um, but one of my intentions in writing this book was to create um, a manual and discussion kind of like guide for couples of all kinds. And so I tried to create space within the book for um, people reading it to be in a couple, a triad, um, any sort of polycule and still get awesome things out of the book. Um, so there is a awesome relationship counseling book out there for non-monogamous people. And it I use language that's entirely gender inclusive, which is a first and I'm excited about that. I love it. And since we're uh, on the topic of self-plugging, uh, <laughs> would you tell, especially for our listening audience, because there's a lot of people listening just on the podcast, how can people get in touch with you if they want to work with you or learn from you, whatever? Yeah. So um, we are on Instagram and TikTok at Sprout Therapy PDX. Um, so that's Sprout Therapy Portland what PDX stands for. Um, our clinic is incredibly versed at um, working with folks who identify as poly, um, non-monogamous, like basically anything along that spectrum. Um, we currently work with clients in the state of Oregon. So if you live in the state of Oregon, no matter where you're at in the state, we'd be happy to work with you. Um, so you can find us on Instagram, reach out to us through there, or on our website at sprouttherapypdx.com. Perfect. Thank you again so much, Emily. It's yeah. been a lot of fun chit-chatting with you today. Thank you for uh, spending some time. Yeah, thank you. It's been a blast. <laughs> it absolutely has. Yeah. Uh, and thank you, as always, for uh, to our live audience for tuning in today. As a reminder, when we're live, you get no commercial interruptions. The same cannot be said for these podcast downloads. So if you want to avoid the commercial interruptions, be sure to catch us live Monday through Wednesday, 2.30 Pacific time, or sign up for our Patreon where you'll get access to our commercial-free RSS feed and support the show. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube, wherever it is that you've downloaded your podcast. And if you haven't already, please leave us a review. We'll really, really appreciate it. And lastly, go follow my big bro who's been kicking butt behind the scenes today mm -hmm. at Business Bros Pod. That was, that was awesome, bro. Good job. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody, have a great rest of your Wednesday. And, uh, well, I already said it, but anyway. Have a nice day. Thank you for tuning in to the Practicing Polyamory podcast. Would you or someone in your polycule like to be a guest? Sign up at practicingpolyamory.com and join the conversation. Please support us by subscribing, liking, and following us on social media at Practicing Polya by clicking any of the affiliate links on our website or by subscribing.